Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. It might take the wide receiver room as a whole a game or two to really get going because there's, there's it's another offseason where there's a little bit of turnover there. But since Huggins Bruce already has that familiarity and that those reps with Cunningham, I think he's going to come firing out of the gates. And this might be borderline hot take-ish, but he, I could easily see him putting up close to a thousand yards. I really do. We're just a couple of days away from the start of real football. That's right. Football will take place uh, in the next week here in Louisville, at least uh, training for real football games. Uh, as Louisville football will get their camp underway, uh, as the season is just a little bit over a month away from this date right now, as I sit with my co-host, Matt McGavick, I'm Jacob Lane. This is from the Pink Seats Podcast. We've got a good episode for you in store today. A lot of things to dive into before camp gets underway. Next couple of days for Louisville and things really start to get busy. Just dive into it. Before we do any of that, first of all, Matt, how are you? It's great to talk to you. I know Vince is usually here with us, so it's the first time you and I have been uh, just us two for an episode talking without a guest in quite some time. I know it, it feels weird and and I'm doing good. It's, it's almost kind of surreal that football is almost back. It, it, it feels like the previous season was just here, but even though we're in the midst of talking season right now, football season's literally about a month away and I can't wait. I love it. Yes, it's extremely exciting. We go from having all offseason to break down every single angle of every single bit of the roster, the <laughs> schedule, uh, what each coach said. I feel like this offseason we did a good job of being able to kind of mix in some other stuff so that we didn't find ourselves constantly just spouting off hot takes that by the time the season got around, we had no business backing up with any sort of facts or data. But right. nonetheless, before we get into that, I have to ask you if you've seen this. I know you're a big college football fan. You write a lot about deals as they come out with nil you've seen some pretty cool ones but have you seen the nil deal this is non-louisville focused of course normally we talk louisville are you talking you about uh, the one with the coldest yes this yes. is quite simply the greatest nil deal in history all right if you are a college football recruiting person at all You've probably heard the name Decoldis Crawford a couple of times. I think he signed with Nebraska last yeah, Nebraska. season in, in the 2022 class. I think at one point in his career, he was committed to play for LSU maybe. Uh, and he obviously got notoriety with his first name literally being Decoldest, one word, his last name Crawford. But he signed an NIL deal with SOS Heating and Cooling. And I have the post here from, it looks like maybe Facebook. And it said, SOS Heating and Cooling is excited to introduce our new spokesperson Huskers wide receiver Decoldis Crawford if anyone knows which HVAC company is the is the coldest in Nebraska it's him which I think I think the only an ideal that could mainly that could top that is if uh, the guy from Alabama whose nickname is Kool-Aid had an NIL deal with Kool-Aid that's right and there's a ton of like nicknames I don't feel like I know any of them off the top of my head that I could like go into in terms of like somebody having a nickname that matches up with an IL, but there's people who have the ability to make money off of those names. But it got me thinking like Louisville, right there. We don't have anybody on the roster this year. We've had some, some crazy names in years past, but we don't really have any names that are like 
out there like Decoldis Crawford, right? Or a couple of years ago at St. John's, you remember God's gift to Chua. Uh, there's been, you know, random, just uh, incredible football names. But what Louisville does have is Marshawn Ford, right? And if you're talking about <laughs> the name linking up with an NIL deal, I mean, it's I know it's very easy to kind of draw that line there. But I just thought, like, right. Ford, we need to step things up here because you got a guy. I know he's not Decoldis, right? But he is Marshawn Especially Ford, since least... Ford has a plant in Louisville. That's like, right, that's man. perfect. It feels like they, that literally is an NIL deal that should have happened a long time ago because then, you know, both could use the built Ford tough slogan and do so without infringing on one another. It would be glorious. Is there anybody else on Louisville's roster? I'm trying to think. Isn't there like a grocery store called Cunningham somewhere in the country? Uh, I feel Somewhere like I'm there. I, I, but, I think uh, I've fun, heard that before. Fun fact: I ran into a grocery store called Satterfields when in Gatlinburg. So interesting. That was okay, how country of a store was that? Oh, very country. It was not a big establishment whatsoever. I'm thinking as like a, a like a small town little drugstore, but I also have this like Cracker Barrel feeling in my head. Like when you no, go uh, in, the, the things little, of assortments that are offered. A little drugstore, like old timey drugstore, does sound about right. Yeah. Did you get anything from Satterfields? Oh, no. <laughs> no. I didn't even stop. I'm trying to think of like a joke of what they could sell, but I, you know, I'm not witty enough. Whatever they would sell, they're this close. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Anyways, let's get on to the yeah. what, what the people are here for. Let's do it. That's right. All right. So, obviously, the last couple of weeks, Media Day is taking place with uh, Louisville football. They sent uh, Malik Cunningham and Caleb Chandler along with Scott Satterfield, two incredibly well-spoken guys who are, are great with the media. You know, I know you send guys out there every once in a while who it's just their their turn or they're the captain. And not everybody is as, you know, camera-friendly as Malik Cunningham and Caleb Chan, but I thought the guys were incredible. Was there anything that stood out to you? Obviously, Media Day is coach speak at its finest, player speak. Oh, we're excited. We feel good about this and that. But was there anything that stood out to you from any of the Louisville uh, side of things? Honestly, there wasn't too terribly many things i mean like you said it's it's pc galore at a lot of these media days i mean satterfield did say that he was kind of aligning with josh hurd's confidence in the acc and commissioner jim phillips which i don't know how true that is because i given how everything is playing out in real time with conference realignment comparatively comparatively speaking to the sec and big 10 and eh, we'll, we'll see how that fares i mean he does like the new scheduling model especially uh who louisville's primary opponents are because it gives them it allows them to get their brand out there they're in recruiting hotbeds i just wish that they didn't have to play virginia maybe like play virginia tech it makes more sense from a historical standpoint um one of the more notable things maybe like from the actual football standpoint is that satterfield did take a little bit of time to reiterate how like lance taylor was having already having a little bit of an impact on the offense kind of bringing that approach to like having another set of eyes to help kind of improve louisville's overall like play calling maybe not play calling aspect because Satterfield is still going to be calling the plays but providing a fresh set of eyes to kind of help with input as to how things get done and kind of help streamline the chain of command on the offensive side of the ball so that was probably one of the one thing that probably stood out the most you know defense they kind of said that what they were supposed to say we're ready to take the next step we have the pieces you know stuff like that but if if anything what stood out to me was that it seemed like acc media days this year had a little bit more smack talk than i anticipated we had a syracuse linebacker despite the fact that syracuse has gotten smacked by louisville three years in a row saying that louisville isn't quote they 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 say louisville isn't going to be a tough challenge end quote 
And then Malik Cunningham didn't really dish it to Syracuse, but he had, he had some things to say about both Clemson and Kentucky. I think, I think Cunningham said something along the lines of, they swear the team is up the street is much better than us. We're going to show that. And then he said that if they didn't call a timeout or if things had gone differently against Clemson, they would have won that. So I was a little bit surprised that it seemed that the players there, the coaches forget about them. They're never going to really dive into anything unless you're maybe Jimbo Fisher. They're never going to say anything, but the players, they kind of just said what they wanted to, uh, when they wanted to. <laughs> yeah. I thought Malik Cunningham was like one of the stars of, uh, ACC media day, which, I mean, you know, what does that really translate to? Nothing, but uh, yeah. overall he had some really interesting comments. First of all, the suit, like Louisville quarterbacks in red oh, yeah. is thing now, right? So Pierce Clarkson, if you're listening, I would go ahead and find the next, uh, you know, the next evolution of the red suit. I don't know if it's a short suit, whatever it is though, the red suit works for Louisville quarterbacks. Uh, but Malik Cunningham, I saw a lot of leadership on display. He talked about when he was on the set with the, the huddle from the ACC network, uh, that he's been getting up at 6 and 6.30 for workouts on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, as, apart from the team with the wide receiver group to build rapport with those guys and to build a connection, which obviously that's going to be a huge portion of this season is how quickly can he kind of get uh, 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 that gelling with those guys, knowing that he's lost potentially two of his top targets in the offseason in Watkins and Harrell. And, Harrell. Um, and then, you know, he talked a lot about uh, what they expect from him and kind of how he's been responsive to that. Right. So one of his comments again on the huddle was he doesn't envision himself rushing for a thousand yards this year. Like that's something you don't really hear a quarterback. I feel like kind of throw out there, right. Especially right. one that just ran for a thousand yards. Like he's keeping it very real. And the fact that I realized last year, I tried to do too much. I've got to dial it back if we're going to be successful to the level that we want to be. So he talked about that. And then he also talked a lot about um, the, the, the fact that the staff didn't want him running in spring and how he was very responsive to that, which I think that shows leadership on his part. I think that shows uh, understanding where his strengths and weaknesses lie. Uh, and so for those reasons, it was really exciting to hear him talk about that and how he thinks it'll translate into the offense. Um, and, and overall, you know, I feel really good with Malik Cunningham in his final season. I think we've seen this evolution of him go from being a guy who just was a talented player to now being the face of the program uh, and being a guy that you can really lean on uh, to carry the flag for your program well in, in opportunities like this. So overall, media day, not much surprising coming out of there. But one last thing before we move on into camp for media day, uh, going to the Louisville Report of Sports Illustrated, the website that Matt as the deputy editor of, and Matt, you wrote this piece, uh, was just a quick publishing of the depth chart that came out with the media guide and things like that. We get one every year. It's not by choice, not, not that Scott Satterfield <laughs> was excited to hand this over to anybody, but it's a, it's a, what are the, you know, it's a, a part of media day. You got to turn in your paperwork, right? You got to get your T's crossed and your I's dotted in the paperwork side of things. And that includes the depth chart. Uh, and you wrote about what that looks like from Louisville and, and it's pretty standard, right? Your, yeah. most of your starters are kind of penciled in. We kind of know who's going to be and where, but I do think there are a couple of spots that you, you at least bring up a conversation. I don't think a debate of any kind, but uh, what stood out to you as someone who studied this thing up and down, saw the differences from last year and where it stands heading into camp? A, a couple things uh, stood out to me, actually. The first one is that the competition at running back is going to be even more stout than maybe I realized because I, I've written about this before. I knew that, uh, you know, with Travion Cooley, uh, Jalen Mitchell, and Tyon Evans. I mean, I mean, those three are probably going to be like the main rotation eventually. But then when the preseason depth chart comes out, 
Jahar Jordan's in this mix. And not only, and when I say in the mix, I mean, literally all four of those guys are listed as the co-starter or, like or, 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 like or, 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 yeah. Like there's, there's no distinction between first, second, third, or fourth string. They're all co-first team right now, which I I guess George Jordan's made more leaps and bounds than I anticipated, and then no one else can really separate from the pack, which is something because I thought – I think eventually Tyon Evans, I don't want to say takes a stranglehold on, on the position because with that much talent, you've got to spread the wealth. But I think he'll be named – eventually be named the starter by default. But this is going to be a position where like everyone gets reps because there's just – there's too much talent there. And the other thing that kind of stood out to me is that at defensive tackle, Jermaine Lole was not named the starter. It was our boy Desmond Tell, which it, when you kind of think about it, it makes a little bit of sense. I mean, Lole has only been on campus for, what, a month and a half? Right. And hasn't really gotten that much time to gel with the team. And not only that, Desmond Tell has been putting in some work in the weight room. I think he was hovering hovering somewhere around the 260 mark for like much of the past season. And heading into fall camp, he's listed on the, the roster at 285. So he's he's a legitimate option at defensive tackle, which Louisville sorely needs. And then I, I will continue to preach that I think Caleb Banks at Noah's tackle was going to have some sort of impact because he's got too much size and too much upside to not be an impact in some sorts. And they're going to need it in the middle of the line because that that's a position where you're rotating bodies constantly. Yeah. I think overall, I agree with both of your assessments of the, of the, uh, you know, depth chart. One thing that kind of strikes me, I'm looking back through this to confirm myself. I see Nicario Harper now listed at free safety, uh, but it was my understanding that the plan was for him to be playing outside linebacker. So that's one thing to kind of be keeping an eye on, at least as we move into right. campus, where some of these guys will fall position wise on defense. I think it's worth noting here, we've said this plenty of times, but if you're a Louisville football fan and you say, well, how can your safety be your, be your linebacker? Well, we've heard from multiple coaches that they want those guys who play safety to also be able to step into the box and be able to play that card outside linebacker spot and be two-way guys, right? So we've seen several guys move from one position to the other. Ben Perry uh, is a guy who will be at that position this year, which we'll get into that here in a second. But I definitely think the transfer thing, more about those guys not being here and being on the field yet. None of them have seen reps in spring practice or anything like that. Quincy Riley, I believe, is another guy that arrived after spring practice was over and didn't go through camp. So you're talking about two guys that probably will be starters, but definitely, you know, it gives you, it's kind of like a race, right? Des Tell has a little bit of a leg up and it's can uh, Lele and can Riley and, you know, MJ Griffin did go through the spring, but can these guys close the gap and become the full-time starter at those positions? But at the same time, a lot of guys are going to play at all of those positions, right? Des Tell is one you mentioned. How about, you know, Tafik Thomas? He looked, he looks great, right? Assuming he comes into camp and, and plays well, uh, he's somebody that can see the field. So the depth chart is going to be something that, to be watchful of. And I want to make this point as something that I kind of, <clears throat> and I, I tweeted this the other day, um, it kind of corresponds with some recent news for Louisville. There haven't been a lot of roster turnover or ro roster movement uh, since the early part of spring and summer, but we did see tight end Christian Peterson go into the portal this week. He was the three-star commit in the class of 2021, a guy that was uh, recruited by Stu Holt. A lot of guys were excited about him and his potential, but he's entered the portal now. And the depth chart just lists Des Melton and Francis Sherman, a former walk-on at that position. We saw both guys play a lot in that, uh, that spot opposite uh, up on the line of Marshawn Ford. And that is the biggest single hand question mark for Louisville. I think potentially on both sides of the ball. 
I mean, you're talking about a position group where you have nothing of, of proven nature, right? You've got Francis Sherman, yeah. you've got Des, uh, Des uh, Melton, and then behind him, you've got Vic Mullen, who uh, it was in that you know class with Peterson. Besides that, I don't know. You and I might have a chance of playing tight end. I mean, obviously, right. Ian Pfeiffer occupied that spot very well for two years, but Louisville's got to figure something out there if they want to be able to deploy Marshawn Ford in a more of a passing down the field role and in that traditional H-back spot where he had so much luck in 2019 with touchdowns and getting into the end zone. Uh, does that stand out to you? I mean, there's there's nothing there. We don't know. We still in year three have no idea who Des Melton is at all. Yeah, I know. I mean, yeah, there, there is concern there. I'm I'm not I'm maybe not as concerned because uh, Jamari Johnson is a, is a good recruit in the 2023 class and they're targeting another uh, tight end uh, in that class. His name escapes me right now. I think it's Adam Moore is who I'm thinking. Yes, of. that's right. Yeah. So yeah. In Miami Northwestern uh, high school. And, yeah, and right. then I, and I feel good about Louisville's chances there. So like there, there are some freshmen, but then again, they are freshmen and, and, and another player whom I, I don't really have any Intel on this one, but I could see uh chance Morrow maybe play sure. some tight end because he's he's a huge dude he's he's had some experience playing out wide but playing like closer to the line of scrimmage so he could play some tight end but no it, it does raise questions I mean after Marshawn Ford I mean you have guys who do what they do well in the system at tight end but in terms of production in the passing game there's nothing I mean there's the halfback who's Marshawn I mean Marshawn Ford I mean who else is there? I mean, Isaac Martin, it's, Dwayne Martin. Yeah, it's Isaac Martin, right? So what what happens is in those situations is when you do want to put Marshawn Ford out wide at wide receiver and one of the you know spots on the line. Well, then you need Isaac Martin to step up and play in that H back role. They do have Dwayne Martin, who proved to be a nice piece. I, he's a neck neck pad guy. I really really value that about him. Uh, so it's like you know they do have pieces, but you talk about that tight end position now being coached up by Josh Step. What what kind of improvement do we see there? Right, that's a big storyline from the offensive standpoint. Because we don't know much about him. I don't think he ever had much media availability in the offseason. Came in late. I know he went through spring. Uh, he's got a twin brother. Scott Satterfield told us that. But outside of that, I don't really know what he's going to bring to the offense. He's a former I mean, offensive coordinator. While, but while with Georgia Southern, he he did have some success at his position. I know two of the tight ends that he coached during his tenure there, one holds the Georgia Southern record in career uh, touchdown receptions. The other holds the uh, for a tight end and the other holds the, the record for yardage. So, I mean, there's, there's that, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I haven't really watched much tape on those guys or how the Georgia Southern tight ends were implemented in their system. And, Shame on you, Matthew. What journalist doesn't watch <laughs> Georgia Southern film? Come on, Matt. We expect more. No, but you're right. You're right. And look, in the grand scheme of things, right, we're talking about a Heisman dark horse candidate. You're talking about uh, an offensive line that's going to be potentially dominant with Caleb Chandler. The last thing anybody's worried about is Josh Stepp and Francis Sherman. Like, I mean, realistically, right, that's very small in, in the priority list. But yeah, on the, on the list of concern for this team, like that one's like toward the bottom. Seems like a good problem that that's your that's that's kind of like your biggest question mark. But it is going to be something to watch when you know when every inch counts the way that it does right now in football for Louisville. Um, yeah, those those positions matter, and who is going to play at those positions and, and how they play will have an impact. So, all right, let's real quickly take a, a quick break here. I'm going to put some some ad roll in here, pay the bills, and then we're going to come back on the other side. We're going to talk about fall camp uh, and what you what you can expect there from Louisville football. Don't go anywhere. Fall camp coming up next week. 
Uh, speaking of which, we do have an episode planned this weekend. I'm not at liberty yet to say who the guest is, but it's going to be a great fall camp primer. Uh, next week, just keep notifications on. That's all I can say. Uh, if if you get a notification, great. You might not, but if you do, it'll probably have a good guest that you will want to tune into the episode for. So be on the lookout for that. But Matt, let's talk. Let's talk about camp, right? This is extremely important. We've seen all the work in the off season. All the guys look bigger. Yaya Diaby looks like he ate Yaya Diaby. You're talking about, you know, Caleb yeah. Banks. I said it, spring camp. He's an experience seeing him in person, right? These guys are bigger. They are faster. They are stronger. Scott Satterfield told as much when he was on the show with us earlier this offseason. Lance Taylor has also commented about uh, their bodies and how they've been able to improve. So I, I go into fall camp is extremely important because now it's about putting in the work on the field. It's about making sure that offense is right. Making sure that defense is right. Special teams, new coaches know what they're doing. I wish Vince was here right now to actually kind of put some framework around what fall camp looks like. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a lot on the line. That's what I'm trying to say here. And so I want to kind of want, run through this, uh, this new segment, Matt's one big question. I want to get to this in the season because the journalist, journalistic integrity of Matthew is to be uh, unquestioned. He is great <laughs> at what he does. Uh, the questions are always fantastic, very insightful stuff. If you listen to press conferences, you can usually hear him too when he asks him on the, you know, when they when they actually. Are or you can the see radio. my big head in the way of the video. Yeah, no, typically the pictures come out Matt's <laughs> blocking the coach. But Matt, what is you? Know, you don't have to. You know, obviously there's no secrecy here. You're not trying to play any games, but you don't have to give me the exact way you're going to frame it. But what is your one big question? whether it's for Scott Satterfield, any of the coaches, the team heading into camp, what is your one big question for 2022? It's hard to really nail down just one because there are like a fair amount of questions, especially on the defensive side of the ball. But if I had to choose just one, how does the secondary take us bounce back and take another step forward using the infusion of new, new talent with the returning veterans because, I mean, we saw in 2020, there wasn't a whole lot that went right. But what did go right was, surprisingly, the defensive side of the ball, and more specifically, the secondary. They had a top-20 passing defense that year, which nobody expected. And then you look at the secondary this year, they looked like they're formed from back in 2019. I, I don't have the stat in front of me, but they were sub-90 in FBS in terms of pass defense. And I, I want to know how this unit as a whole – is going to be able to retake that next step forward and get back to that 2020 status because you've got guys who do have some, maybe not winning pedigree, but like a talent, like a level of talent to them coming in. And you've got guys who have, who return, who do have system familiarity and do have talent as well. I mean, you've got guys like Keetra Clark, who is an all ACC preseason, all ACC guy. I mean, he might be one of the best uh defensive backs in the league and i've said it several times he's the best man to man cover corner that Lewis had since jair which is For saying sure. a lot which is saying a lot yeah. and then you've got a, a you were able to retain at least one of your safeties instead of like the year before when you had to replace both starting safeties you've got can Derek duncan josh minkins is a guy who i thought was a, one of the top standouts in spring brawl he was named to start at strong safety i think he's going to have a big year but the, and then you kind of look at the other guys that, that are on the depth chart that are returners. Trey Franklin, he he had a really good like middle of the season, but then wasn't really that effective in like the tail end or like the front of the season. Then you've got Chandler Jones, which I don't know what's going on there. He hasn't really been that effective over the last couple of seasons. I think the experiment with him getting reps as safety is 
probably coming to an end. I'd say so. Let's focus on one position, Chandler. Let, let's just get the one right, you know? Yeah. But then you've, got, then you've got guys coming in that can help the position. I mean, Quincy Riley is one of the best defensive backs in the group of five. Jarvis Brownlee, yeah, he – he did get burnt a few times, but whenever he was on, he was on. He was locked down. And then you've got a guy like MJ Griffin coming over from Temple. The coaching staff has raved about him ever since he arrived on campus in the spring. So there are pieces there in the secondary that when everything is going well, can all come together to produce at minimum a top 40 passing defense. I don't want to put them on too high a pedestal because top 20 is is pretty elite but they have the pieces to be a top 40 passing defense. Whether or not that actually comes together remains to be seen, but I want to know how they're going to balance this mix of veterans and newcomer newcoming talent. It's a great question. There's 14 guys listed on this initial death chart over four positions. Some of these position groups elsewhere, you say, why is that a big deal? Well, it just kind of shows what they have in, in the stable, you know, at other positions like that tight end spot, offensive line, there's two guys listed. At some of these, they've got four. It's strong safety, and it, it, they've got four guys listed, including two freshmen, Jeremiah Caldwell and D'Angelo Hutchinson, who most people haven't even really talked about. Both guys were late additions in uh, the late signing window. So you're talking about the position group just having more guys who can do more things. Jeremiah Caldwell is a four-star recruit, right? Yeah, so you're talking about a guy you and you you put him in there and you say, here's we just need you to master this one thing in this one specific, you know, play call situation, whatever it is. And you you complement that with MJ Griffin, who seems by every means to be like a Calvin Pryor type of hitter, somebody who can really lurk, you know, in the backfield. And then, you know, you, you've got the corners that you talked about. You've got Chandler Jones. At least he's got experience. You know, you got Quincy Riley, who was an All-American uh, or, you know, one of the top players in the Sunbelt Conference with Middle Tennessee. And then you've got guys like Nicario Harper coming over from Jacksonville State, you know, All-American FCS player. You've got uh, Kendrick Duncan, who could have probably been drafted in this year's pick. So you're right, Matt, to your, to your point there, there's just a lot of guys who can play, and that's really important. Uh, and that leads me into the next portion of the, the preview here of the camp uh, and looking at some of the, the most important players and, and guys that you should be watching in camp. So, Matt, I want to start here with this. Who is the player for Louisville football, in your opinion, that has the most to prove in fall camp? Not necessarily the, uh, you know, the best player, the MVP of camp, or who's going to end up getting the most headlines, but who has the most overall to prove, in your opinion? I, I, there's, there's a couple guys you could pick from this bunch. But I'm actually going to stay in the secondary, and I'm going to go with Chandler Jones because with all the new faces, he, it's going to be a fight for reps. And we've seen in the past that Chandler Jones can play at a high level. I mean, looking at his 2019 stat lines when he was a sophomore, 50 tackles, four and a half for loss, one sack, one interception, 11 pass deflections, and two forced fumbles. I mean, that's borderline all ACC numbers right there. And in, in 21, 20 and 21, it's I don't want to say he's completely disappeared because there have been spurts where he has been good, but like it's it seems like ever since that 2019 season, he has not been the, the same Chandler Jones that we that we know he can be. So I think heading into this season with all of the newcomers that are in the secondary, they're gonna push him for playing time. I think it's him that has the most to prove. Yeah, I'm going to stay on the defensive side of the ball and go uh, with Jermaine Lillet. I, I mean, obviously, he comes in with a lot of prestige. I think there's been four or five different 
college football outlets that have said he's one of the top defensive tackles uh, in all of college football and one of the best transfers in college football this offseason. Louisville lands him. But one thing that's worth considering is he hasn't played really in two years. I mean, he played four games mm-hmm. in 2020 during the COVID year. But before that, his most of his impact came in 2019 and 2018, right, as a freshman and sophomore. So you're talking about a guy who's been away from the field for a long time, but who still comes with uh, all Pac-12 preseason honors last year. He was a guy who was projected to be one of the top players in the conference. He comes to Louisville where there's an immediate need for him. Louisville has not had anybody at that position who can do what he does, the versatility of being able to play outside, inside on the defensive line. Uh, Derek Dorsey told us earlier this offseason he thought the defensive line was going to be the most improved and the focal point of the defense. And now you add in a guy like this who can only make you better. But when you look at what happened last year, we we said the same thing about Jaquez Turner. And I don't have the stats, but I don't think he did much. Now, yeah, I'm not saying Lole and Turner are the same player, but there's very similar characteristics in that, in that both were out of football for a significant amount of time and then came back. And, you know, maybe that didn't have much to do with it. Maybe it was other things off the field that we didn't see, but Turner didn't have much impact. So will Lole be the same way or will Lole be, you know, somebody that becomes an All-American in the in the ACC? And why I think, you know, the ceiling for Louisville is potentially 10 and 11 games, which sounds, you know, just crazy, is because there's guys like Lole that if they pop, say he is a third, fourth rounder like people are projecting him to be, Dude, you're talking about a defense that's going to be potentially dominant. You know, if he's playing at his highest potential and other guys like Yassir and Monty are at theirs, Cottrell Clark, whew, Louisville's got a, a defense that could potentially contend with anybody. Uh, Matt, who has the most to gain for Louisville? Who is it that has the most on the line uh, this camp? And who do you think, uh, you know, has the most, I guess, in this case, to, to kind of um, put out there, I guess, is the best way to put it? I think it's Amari Huggins-Bruce. I mean, when you look at the position, uh, like the wide receiver room as a whole, Louisville loses the, the their top two guys in front of him, both Jordan, uh, Jordan Watkins and Tyler Harrell. And as a true freshman, Amari Huggins-Bruce had 444 yards and four touchdowns. That's pretty damn good. He's he's electric with the ball in his hands. He might not be too, too at well, but, I mean, he's, he's, he's really good in space. And then, obviously, you've got guys like Tyler Hudson and Dee Wiggins who came in by the transfer portal and guys who are listed as starters on the depth chart. But Huggins-Bruce has the advantage of having that system familiarity and just being on campus longer than the other two. And it, it might it might take Hudson and Wiggins a game or two to truly, you know, get going. It might take the wide receiver room as a whole a game or two to really get going because there's, there's it's another offseason where there's a little bit of turnover there. But since Huggins-Bruce already has that familiarity and that um, those, rep, those reps with Cunningham – so I think he's going to come firing out of the gates. And this might be borderline hot take-ish, but he, I could easily see him putting up close to 1,000 yards. I really do. I don't disagree when you think of Louisville getting back to being able to throw the deep ball and the fact that Tyler Harrell, who was Louisville's you know, most prominent deep threat, is gone. So someone's got to step into that role, right? And for Huggins-Bruce, it could be him. And he should have had five touchdowns last year. That Eastern Kentucky fumble should have just given it to him in a statistical <laughs> stat book. I think in my personal stat book, I will always say he scored five touchdowns as a freshman. Right. For me, it, it's in the same room. It's Braden Smith. Uh, there's been nothing that's gone really his way this offseason. Uh, you know, the, the headlines there for a while weren't positive. Coming back from a ACL injury in which, you know, he missed the majority of the season and not been a ton of talk about him in the depth chart or what he's going to bring to the to the field. In fact, it seems like, in most cases, I don't want to say it's been avoided talking about him, but coaches just haven't done it. And it's probably because he's not been on the field. So right. this year, 
considering the fact that you lose uh, Jordan Watkins and Tyler Harrell, those are two of your top three or four receivers from last year in terms of volume of targets, volume of yards, touchdowns. Braden Smith uh, has a big opportunity to kind of get back to what we thought he would be last year and what he showed at the beginning of the season before getting hurt. Uh, he's a playmaker. He is a guy who can do, you know, multiple things, lining up out wide, lining up in a slot. He's a possession guy, but he can also make, you know, uh, you know moves down the field to get open for deep balls. So what does his health look like and what does he have, uh, you know, in terms of a rapport with Malik? Because uh, he's played more snaps with Malik. I, I, well, I shouldn't say on the in the game because he's been hurt, but he's played with Malik now for three years. Uh, not a lot of guys on the roster can say that. In fact, as I look over, I don't think a single receiver outside of Josh Johnson can say that. So uh, there's a lot of importance in Braden Smith. He's your, he should be, by all accounts, one of your top guys, and you need him to get out there because if not, the rest of your position group is a little bit shaky. Uh, if Hudson from Central Arkansas, Tyler Hudson, doesn't pop and become what you expect him, which a lot of people have said all conference, and then you know the guy that you mentioned and I think we're both high on, and Amari Huggins-Bruce. What is the most intriguing camp battle? Wide receiver is probably one of them, but for you, what's the most intriguing camp battle? I think it's running back just because of how deep that room is. I mean, it, no matter who you ask, whether it's a Louisville fan or someone within the program, like if you ask them, okay, who do you think is going to be a starting running back? I don't think you're going to get a consensus answer. I think probably the most common answer might be Tyon Evans just because of what he saw, what he was able to show at Tennessee before he got hurt last year. But, I mean, you can make a legitimate case for every single one of these guys in the room. I mean, Tyon Evans, Tennessee's leading rusher before suffering an ankle injury. I mean, Jalen Mitchell took the bulk of the carries last year, and he's he's a workhorse type back. Travion Cooley has superstar potential and, like, just showed enormous flashes of brilliance over his true freshman campaign. And Jar Jordan, I mean, he was a late addition and battled an injury of sorts throughout most of the year. But in the, that last game, in that bowl game, he had over 200 all-purpose yards. I mean, he can he can get it done both at running back and catching catching punts. I mean, I'm I'll be curious to see like how who gets one who gets starting reps and who kind of emerges as like a third down back or who's a a, a second and long third and long back who who's like a goal line back because like you have the flexibility to kind of insert whomever back in specific situations based on their skill set. I mean, Cooley's more of a speed back. Mitchell's kind of, I guess, the power back of the room because he may not be the fastest, but he's the biggest bruiser of them. And Tyon Evans is kind of like a healthy mix of the two. And Jar Jordan cuts on a dime. So we'll see, we'll see how that kind of flushes out. Yeah, and I think Jar Jordan could potentially be, even if he doesn't see the field a ton as a running back, talk about a special teams dynamic player. We got, we got a little glimpse of that late in the season uh, against air force. So uh, for me, it's on the defensive side of the ball. So it's nice to uh, disagree a little bit here for <laughs> once, but uh, you go to the card, but now it's called the dog. I'm still not sure the difference between the card and the dog. Did we switch is Do you dog, the card now? dog is the true like pass rushing position and outside linebacker card is the linebacker safety hybrid. Well, they must've gotten their, uh, depth chart confused because I'm looking at it and now I've seen it multiple places that Yasir Abdullah is the card uh, and Ben Perry is the dog. So we need to get that fixed. So on the, on the card side of things, it's Ben Perry, Marvin Dallas, potentially Nicario Harper, maybe some of the other freshmen that come in uh, and play that position. We'll see if anybody can get bulked up enough to go down to that, that spot. But I want to see Ben Perry and Marvin Dallas. I think Ben Perry is 
quite frankly, an, another one of the guys that could become a star in year two, right? He didn't play much last year. He was a top signee a couple of years ago for Louisville at safety. Now he's playing this position. He's bulked up much bigger. What does he add as a pass rusher? What does he add as a run stopper? Can he become the, the next star on the defense? And if he does, again, you're talking about Louisville really being able to, to take a ginormous step with all these guys kind of coming around him. Uh, freshman, real quickly before we get out of here, Matt, freshman that you see playing the most. I'm going to go first here because I'm actually – I didn't have an answer before, but I have an answer now. I've changed it up, okay? <laughs> well, I think we both had a very similar answer. I'm going to go with Chris Bell, okay? And here's why. Chris Bell is a, is a wide receiver who came late in the class last year. I think he's out of Mississippi. Uh, when I talked to Keith Wynn last year, he said he reminds him of Des Bryant, which at the time, uh, okay. you know, I thought – I don't remember exactly how it lined up, but, you know, that's a former Gunner Brewer coach player. So you're talking about real potential and what they saw on that guy. Um, and so Chris Bell – uh, is big. I think he's 6'4", 6'3", something like that. He's 195, 200 pounds, so he's a big, tall frame. He's a guy that could be a, a great outside weapon for Louisville should Braden Smith not come back healthy or should there be something with Hudson and Wiggins. The rest of the, the freshmen play defense, and it's mostly on the defensive line where a lot of those guys are impact players in that small class. And so I just wonder how much of those guys are going to truly get the opportunity to play. So Chris Bell, for me, is the answer because there's 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 an obvious play, uh, step into playing time, right? It's it's Amari Huggins-Bruce, it's D. Wiggins, it's Tyler Hudson, it's Braden Smith at the top, but then after that, it's Josh Johnson. That's really the uh, – Devon Mortimer, should he come to campus, obviously that'll be a big that'll be a big part of it. But I really like what Chris Bell brings to this team. And for me, it's it's Popeye. I mean, whenever you're a top 200 recruit at a premium position, I mean, you, you he's uber talented. He has to see the field at some point. It, it's it's going to be difficult because he plays the outside linebacker spot over at Dog. So, I mean, obviously, Sierra Dula is going to be like take the majority of snaps there. And then you've got a couple guys in Cam Wilson and Alan Smith who are kind of going to compete for those backup outside linebacker reps. But Popeye has to see the field at some point. He is just too talented to just simply slap a red shirt on him this year. Like, he's got to get some snaps in. Yeah, he's got size to play right away. I would imagine an offseason where they can focus on getting the playbook and some some weightlifting in will be important there. But uh, I'm also excited about a couple of other guys. Cam Wilson is one. He's a backup linebacker who should see the field as an edge rusher. Jackson Hamilton, Jalen Alderman, those are guys. R.J. Sorensen, those are guys who are part of that 2021 class. I want to see them get on the field and see what they can offer to Louisville. All right, that's going to wrap it up here. Fall camp is coming up. Not too much longer we will have actual games. We are super excited to get into that. Off-season content will transition into a preseason and season uh, preview over the next couple of weeks. We're going to have a couple of great guests on. We've got Dave Skull, Biggest Biscuit, will be joining us. We'll be joined by Alex Cupper, former Louisville offensive lineman, uh, as well as Keith Wynn. Several other great guests will join us along the way. So be sure to tune into that. Uh, From the Pink Seeds Podcast, that's the name of the show. Be sure you're subscribed on uh, Apple, on Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts. Check out the Louisville Report of Sports Illustrated at Matt underscore McGavick is where you can find him on Twitter, stateoflouisville.com, State of Louisville Podcast Network. We will catch you next time. Until then, go card. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.